Our scripture reading this evening is Psalm 33. We're going to be considering together this evening from the Belgic Confession the way in which creation makes God known, reveals Him to us. Psalm 33 expresses this, it celebrates God's work in creation. And quite a while ago, like to the tune of years ago, I encountered what a writer, I'm going to talk about this a bit more later, but what a writer said about how Psalm 33 proclaims this, and I wrote down in my notes for Article 2 that we're going to use this passage here. So I've been looking forward to this, and it's a joy to read this psalm with you this evening. Psalm 33. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord the people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven. He sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield, for our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we pray for your blessing upon the teaching of your word this evening, that it might bear fruit in our midst. We desire to grow in our hoping in your steadfast love, your covenant faithfulness to your people. There is much that we have before us in this coming week where we are perhaps afraid, fearful, anxious. And so we humbly acknowledge that this is what we are up against, that we must, through every circumstance of life, trust in your steadfast love. And we pray that you would use our time in your word this evening to encourage and strengthen us for that life. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our lesson from the Belgic Confession this evening is Article 2. I would ask you to turn with me In the back of your Belgic Confession, we have the first, in the back of your Psalter hymnals, 
We have the first paragraph there, but not the rest of it. So we need to turn to page 855. The first paragraph is what we will be focusing on, but I want us to see both the points that the confession makes here side by side. Uh, first, before we read it, since you have your Belgic confessions open, you can notice that Articles 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7 are all on the doctrine of Scripture. Article 2 is also going to refer to Scripture. We're not focusing on it. The reason being, as you can see, we'll be focusing on it in later articles. All right, God has spoken to us in His Word. This is our confession of faith together in response to God's Word. Article 2 of the Belgic Confession. Let us say together, We know Him by two means. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe. Since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, His eternal power and His divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20. All these things are enough to convict men and to leave them without excuse. Second, He makes Himself known to us more openly by His holy and divine Word. As much as we need in this life, for His glory and for the salvation of His own. Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to begin this evening with verse 18 of Psalm 33. And I want to read this as a connection, a hook of sorts with our time in God's Word this morning. Think of all of the circumstances of life that we spoke of, all the various uh, trials and uh, temptations, challenges that we face in the Christian life, how in the context of that, what we need is confidence in God's grace. Uh, Listen to this expression of that same truth. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. And then the concluding prayer of verse 22, Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. We can summarize the goal for our study of the doctrine of God's making himself known in creation as nothing less than what that expresses. That we would, in whatever way, big or small, as a result of the study, trust in, look to, hope in God's steadfast love. Well, this evening we come with that being the purpose, the goal, to Article 2 of the Belgic Confession. In Article 1, we have confessed that we believe in the existence of God, and then it described the attributes of God. God as the one who is being, the fullness of being, and the overflowing fountain of all good. With Article 2, we then turn to the question of how we know God. Number one on your outline, the knowledge of God We confess that there are two ways in which God makes himself known. And here then, I'm simply giving you the outline of what the Belgic Confession says. It has two paragraphs, a first and then a second. Letter A, God makes himself known first through what we call general revelation. This is how God reveals himself through his creation. And then secondly, letter B, 
is what we call special revelation. God reveals himself, and the Belgian Confession says, quoting, more openly through his word. And the Belgian Confession would lead us to speak of this as being two books. The scriptures, of course, are a book. That second way, that more clear, that more complete way that God makes himself known. But the Belgian Confession in the first paragraph speaks of the creation as being like a beautiful book. Both of these then being ways in which God makes himself known to us. Now, the rest of our time this evening and then over the next several weeks is going to be exploring, unfolding, developing both of those ways. This evening, I'm going to focus on general revelation, how God makes himself known in creation. And then for the next couple of weeks, we're going to focus on special revelation, the doctrine of scripture, how God makes himself known in his word. But before we divide into those two ways... I want to emphasize for a few moments, letter C. We must receive with humility the ways in which God makes himself known to us. I want to stay at this point for a few moments. Not, first of all, analyzing the different ways that God reveals himself, but I want us to enjoy, to appreciate, to receive together the fact that God makes himself known. The fact that God reveals himself to us. Last week, talking about the attributes of God, we spoke of what we call God's incomprehensibility. The fact that we can know God, but never fully. We can know God, but never completely. Always in a way limited by our human creatureliness. So even apart from sin, God is incomprehensible. But also by our sinfulness. Well, there are many who, in response to that, especially some of the ways that Christian theology, in good ways, has spoken of God's being bigger than us, his transcendence, mysteriousness, have simply said, we cannot know God. Those who would say, because God is incomprehensible, that simply means we do not, we cannot know him at all. And that is often said with a posture of humility, Uh, a pretended, I'm going to say, posture of humility, versus those of you who are pridefully saying, you do know God. And so there's there's sort of a cycle, it seems like in generational trends, where there will be a generation who will find it very exciting, very edgy to say, ah, who are you to think you can know God? You're just a human, knowledge is limited, you can't know God at all. How silly it is for Christian theology to say we can know God. How do we respond to that? Well, there's two ways we must respond. We must first acknowledge that there are plenty of us in the Christian church who on various points of theology or doctrine, especially when debating about them, are prideful, have been arrogant, have acted as though we do know everything and have everything figured out. And so in in response to that objection, we need to acknowledge that sometimes we are the problem. And we must be careful to always humbly, with humility, receive. You see, the point, the way we could sum it all up is that God reveals himself. We don't figure God out. We don't climb our way to the knowledge of God. We don't, by our own exploration and ingenuity, get there. God reveals himself. He makes himself known. And so anything we say that we know about God must have that posture of humility. It is but what we have received. But there's another response, and that is to say, to claim definitively that you cannot know God is not humble at all. 
In fact, it is actually itself its own kind of pride. Because what it is really saying is that God cannot make himself known. What it is really saying is not something humble about yourself, but it's saying that God is unable to reveal himself. And so what is the answer to that claim? Also, humility. And so what what both dangers, what both errors need is the posture of receiving humbly the ways in which God makes himself known. And doing so, always acknowledging that we don't have it all figured out. There is always more we can grow in, always ways we need to be corrected, always ways in which we can grow and mature in what we confess about him. The way to avoid both dangers, pridefully knowing everything, saying you can't know anything, is humility. Receive God's making himself known to us. Well, one of the, reasons, one of the ways in which we seek to do that humbly is doing so in conversation with, in um, submission to the history of the church. Using something like the Belgic Confession is a way we seek to express that humility. We follow then the Belgic Confession and its beautiful description of how God makes himself known in creation. Number two on your outline. Like a beautiful book, our focus this week is on how God makes himself known through his works of creation and providence. I want to read these words one more time from the Belgic Confession. All right, you've got the outline. I've probably said it too many times, but just to be sure, you've got the outline, the two ways God makes himself known, creation and his word. Well, what we're focusing now is that first way through creation, Article 2. First, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes like a beautiful book, in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, his eternal power and his divinity, as the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1 verse 20. And then the confession goes on, when Paul is making that point, what he's applying, to is, applying it to is this next sentence, all these things are enough to convict men and to leave them without excuse. What I want us to enjoy together this evening is the way the Belgic Confession chooses to say this. There is a poetic character, a way of saying it that is concerned with the beauty that is expressed in in how our confession speaks, that this is like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters. Speaking to us, revealing things about God, true things about God that can be known. Now, some of you are aware, and I, I want to gesture toward this concern. Some of you are aware that in the Reformed tradition recently, the last generation or two, There have been some worries about making much of how creation makes God known. If this is not a worry of yours, well, you'll have to take my word for it that it is something people have worried about. And I want to mention this so that we can highlight just how rich the treasure is we have before us in the Belgic Confession. There are those who have worried that if you talk about how the creation points to God, that you're you're somehow then turning human reason into this God other than God, who judges whether or not God really is known. But there is a faithful way to do this. God is, after all, the one who has given us reason. God is the one who has made us able to perceive him in the creation. All of this is never a matter of us as autonomous, self-governing humans making God submit to us. It is rather us humbly receiving 
God's making himself known. There are others who have worried that if you make much of how God makes himself known in creation, you're going to end up with the God of deism. That is, the God who's just sort of the first principle that gets creation going and then is never again involved in the creation. But notice what our confession says. That God is made known not just through creation, but through the preservation and government of the universe. That God's providential upholding every day, every moment of creation is one of the ways God is made known. That one of the things the creation points to is God's involvement in it at every single moment. One more worry. There are those who have worried that if you make much of how God is made known in creation, that then you're going to end up saying you don't need the scriptures, as though the creation is enough, so you don't need the Bible. But our confession is very clear and wise on this point. When we come to the second point, second part of the article, he makes himself known to us more openly by his holy and divine word as much as we need in this life for his glory and for the salvation of his own. It is the scriptures that make known the way of salvation. It is the scriptures that make known God more fully. But what we do want to emphasize is that creation does make God known in a way that does not threaten any of those other things. That God, creation makes God known in a way that is fully consistent with what the scriptures say, that is completed by what the scriptures say, that resonates with, with what God's word says. That it is not a God of deism who is distant and far away, but it is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, present with us by his spirit, who is made known by the creation. And so as I take you through these scripture passages, the ways in which God makes himself known through the world around us, we should not be thinking of this as an alternate way of getting to God or other than depending on scripture, but it is precisely one of the things the scriptures point us to. Maybe that's the most obvious point. You say, Pastor, you could have skipped that whole last five minutes and said, look, A, B, C, D, E, they all have a Bible verse. So clearly we're not talking about creation instead of scripture. All right, let's look at a few examples of this. How the scriptures speak of God making himself known through creation and providence. Letter A, God's divine nature is made known through creation. This is the verse uh, uh, quoted by the Belgian Confession. Romans 1 verse 20, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We can summarize this as God as creator being pointed to. Think of all of the most challenging, incomprehensible stuff we talked about last week. God as being, the fullness of being, the ground of being, not just the beginning of the timeline, but the one who upholds all of reality at every moment. That's what we are speaking of here. Not the God of the gaps where science encounters something and you say, how can you explain that? God must explain it. No, that's not what we're doing Too many conservatives do that. That's not what we're doing. We're saying whether you can explain it or not scientifically, God explains the existence of any of it. The fact that there is something rather than nothing. And all of that points to God's divine nature. His eternalness, his infinity, his incomprehensibility, that he is the fullness of being. Letter B, creation proclaims God's glory. Psalm 19, verse 1, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. 
Now, how is this different than his divine nature? Well, it's another way of speaking of it, that God's character, who he is, is refracted through his works. It is glorious, and it's a glorious put on display through his works. And so the psalm looks at the creation and says it is the creator's glory being expressed in his power, his sovereignty over all of it. But more than that, the psalm goes on to speak of, for example, the cycles of the sun and day and night. And there's this sense in Psalm 19 of it being God's faithfulness in upholding the creation, in maintaining those cycles. That his glory is not just a matter of power as the source of all of it, but his glory is the glory of the one who is faithful to all of it, maintaining his creation. Let us see God's wisdom. Proverbs 3, verses 19 and 20. The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. Proverbs 8 speaks this way even more clearly, that God made the world through wisdom, by wisdom, with wisdom. The wisdom that is his word, the word that would be made flesh in the incarnation. And it is that wisdom through whom he made all things that then gives shape to the creation. So anytime we are uncovering, enjoying, delighting in the order of God's world, the way God's world works, the wonders of creation, however big, the big things of the universe and the stars and the galaxies, the very zoomed in small things of our DNA and the wondrous code by which life comes into existence, all of that is showing forth God's wisdom. And of course, Proverbs 3 is going to go on to say, therefore, son, it's the father speaking to his child, live in accordance with that wisdom. There is an order that is good. There is a moral order that is good. It was called into existence by wisdom. And now the father says to his son, the wisdom I'm giving you is the life in accordance with that. And so as we speak of God's wisdom, then it's not just scientific things. It is the fact of a moral order. It is a fact that there is a way to identify that which is good and that which is bad. That there is such a thing as evil that can be pointed out and there is such a thing as the good that can be known and embraced. All of that goodness, the love, the, the, the way of life as God made it to be reflects his wisdom. All of it points to him. All of it proclaims him. This is one of the ways in which it can never be the God of deism who is uninvolved with his creation. Indeed, it can never be the God who is not Trinity because all of this way of wisdom is this fullness of being that includes all of our relationships together, all of our interactions, all of our experiences of love and faithfulness and relationship in this life. All of it points specifically to the Christian God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Letter D. God's generous provision. Psalm 104, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen man's heart. Psalm 104 in detail, speaking of God's provision both for animals and for humans, speaks of it being who God is, saying something of his character that that, that food is brought forth from the creation. And notice that at this point in the psalm, each of these things spoken of are things where human effort, human ingenuity, 
human ability is involved in the bringing those things out of creation. But all of that is something God has ordered, God has ordained, God has brought into existence. And all of it is something then, again, that points to him. We saw in Genesis 2, from the very beginning, the creation, Genesis 1 and 2, God provides food. It's a theme throughout, all the way through the book of Revelation. And that that providing of good things for his creatures says something about who he is. It proclaims his glory. And then finally, letter E. God's steadfast love. i give you the Hebrew word there for some reason. Chesed. I, I love this word because there is no single English word that captures it. Older translations say loving kindness, all as one word. Covenant faithfulness is how I like to say it, to capture that relational dimension of the, 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 uh, being uh, bound together in the covenant. Steadfast love, a very common translation. Why do we talk about this here? Well, in Psalm 33, as I said earlier, it was actually in Ephraim Radner's book on Leviticus that he makes a sort of passing reference to how Psalm 33 says that the creation shows forth God's steadfast love. And this is the connection I want us to make. That all these things that the creation is proclaiming are not just, again, say it again, the God of deism who just sort of gets the watch wound up and going and then abandons it, leaves it on its own, but is rather a matter of God as the God who is in relationship with his people. Psalm 33, begin at verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, why do we bring this up here? Because, well, first of all, verse 6, no, excuse me, verse 4, right before that statement, it talks about the word of the Lord. Well, the word of the Lord would be the word we have in Scripture, but it is also his word that brought creation into existence. And so if we're talking about the creation making God known, well, now we are also talking about his word, creation like a beautiful book, his word of wisdom that called it into existence. We can make that connection alone just right there. But then, right after verse 5, the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord, we have verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, by the breath of his mouth, all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, he puts the deeps in storehouses. Here is the point. I have been looking forward to you ever since I wrote down that note about Ephraim Radner mentioning Psalm 33, saying creation reveals God's steadfast love. That Hebrew word, steadfast love, is the word, the the richest, fullest word for God's relationship with his people. God's devotion to his people, his promises to his people, God's binding his people to himself, and God's faithfulness to that relationship over time. This is that word. And Psalm 33 speaks of that word, again, the word of God's special relationship being something the creation in some mysterious way makes known. It speaks of that, God's covenant faithfulness, God's steadfast love, God's loving kindness being something that the earth is full of because by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. A psalm celebrating creation says, the creator to whom creation points is the God of covenant. 
that Israel's covenant God, Yahweh, Jehovah, the self-existent one, is the God of relationship, is the God of creation, the creator God of the whole world. And we cannot separate these. We cannot tear these apart. That the God made known in creation is the God made known in Scripture, and they agree fully. Now, we must be careful. I don't see any worries on your faces. I thought I would. We must be careful We are not saying that by this, humans can on their own climb their way to a saving knowledge of God. Scripture is necessary. Special revelation is necessary. But we are saying that as special revelation, God's word draws you to faith in him, and you look at the world, you see a world that sparkles with, that makes clear, that radiates the glory of the God of covenant, of relationship, of binding you to himself. And the scriptures encourage you. To see that, to enjoy that, to behold that, to be encouraged by that as you look at the world around you. The God of creation is the God of covenant. The God who loves you in Christ is the God who is sovereignly in control of all things. See how these connections need to be made? The God who makes his love known at the cross is the God who called all things into existence and providentially orders all of them. I've heard it said, I know Jesus loves me, I'm just not sure I'm elect. Why do I say this here? Well, because as I allude to this morning, we have tendencies in Reformed theology to divide these things, to separate them, to have a God who is loving and gracious and clearly so in Christ, and then to have a God who's just mysterious and power and control, just sort of decreeing things arbitrarily. But God's will, his decree is always in Christ. They cannot be pulled apart, they cannot be separated, and Reformed theology has never spoken of them in that way. And I'm convinced that all of that, the beauty of that, is one of the things being expressed in Psalm 33, verse 5. The earth, the creation, is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Number three on your outline. We know him by two means. God's revelation of himself in creation and in scripture fully agree, thereby proclaiming, first, the glory of Christ You see, if we are looking at the creation and it's pointing to God, it is pointing to the God who called creation to existence by his word. And it is that word that was made flesh in the incarnation. And so we ought to expect these to fully agree. And so Colossians 1, 15 through 20 celebrates Christ in exactly this way, that he is the one through whom all things were made. He is the one in whom all things hold together. You are in the hand of your heavenly Father, And his love, who he is for you, is what is made known in Christ. The hand of the creator is the creator who created all things by his word. You can see this from all different angles because it all fits together. It's all the one covenant God being made known. It is this God who upholds his creation. So that's what Psalm 19 is celebrating. The cycles of of the sun. God's upholding that pattern. Colossians 1 says it is in Christ that all things hold together. And so that faithfulness, that ongoing faithfulness of God to his creation testifies finally, letter B, to the promise of the future. The God who created all things, who upholds all things, will not abandon his good creation. 
And it is that promise we have been given in Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your faithfulness in revealing yourself to us. We ask you to help us always with humility to receive the ways in which you make yourself known and give us a growing joy and delight in seeing all of creation declare your glory. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.